0: Turn with me to 1st Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1st Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Some may say that preaching a message like this is self-serving. I think if you listen to the whole message, you'll find that it's not. Uh, others may say, well, why would you preach something like this? Well, for several reasons. One, I believe God's led me to do so. Secondly, it's in the Bible and God tells me to preach the word. And thirdly, I believe that this is one of the most important things that we could discuss because there has been so much misunderstanding in the church of God, uh, generally speaking, over the issue of a pastor or pastoral staff in relation to the people of God. Uh, I've seen cases where uh, there are godly pastors and godly people. I've seen cases where there were wicked pastors and godly people. Where there was godly pastors and wicked people. Uh, Sometimes both groups are wicked. But uh, all of these different cases call for different things to take place. And so uh, we need God's wisdom on these things. uh, just this past week, uh, I heard of a prominent Christian leader uh, whose books I've read, who was caught up uh, in a situation where he was accused by a number of women in the church of uh, sexual advances toward them. Uh, this is this needs to be addressed. You know, I've heard some people say, "Well, a pastor's authority should never be questioned, and anything he does shouldn't be questioned." That's not what the Bible teaches. The pastor is accountable just like the people are accountable uh, in the things of God. Uh, Then there are cases where people say, well, you know what? I don't really care what the pastor says. I'm going to do my own thing. Who cares what he says? And they basically treat the pastor, well, I I don't really care either way. They don't take things very seriously. And so there are times where there are wicked leaders who need to be rebuked who aren't. Then there are times that there are godly leaders who need to be listened to, and they aren't. So how do we find wisdom to navigate these situations? Because all of us are broken. All of us have issues. How do we navigate the situations of our lives uh, in, in the church and do it in a way that honors God? We need His wisdom. Now. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's told Timothy to appoint pastors in in these different places, Uh, but he's also now giving him direction on how the pastors and the people should relate to one another, but also how he should relate uh, to these pastors that he appoints, Uh, and so we find some principles here uh, that can be very instructive for us in uh, relating to pastoral leadership. So we need to relate pastoral leadership in the way that God would have us to relate. Uh, So look with me at 1 Timothy 5.17, and we'll begin reading there. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment. But the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Relating to pastoral leadership, how do we relate to pastoral leadership? Well, first of all, we need to follow them we need to follow them he says the elders who are good leaders I had a professor in college who said he that leads with no one following is just taking a walk I like that Uh, so uh, following leadership and and the main way the primary way the pastor leads is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and so as we follow that leadership Uh, then we can be in God's will. You say, well, what if the pastor's trying to lead us to do the wrong thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Don't follow him. (laughs) If he, listen, all leadership is delegated by God. All authority is delegated by God. So ultimately, the first person that we're to follow is God. By the way, this isn't my church. Did you know that? Not yours either. It's God's church. And so, as God's people, we follow him first, but as the pastor follows God, we follow him. Or as the pastoral leadership, if there's more than one, we follow them. So, uh, Paul said it this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I like that. Uh, Listen, I'm going to just confess right now to you, there are times that I don't imitate Christ. There are times that I fail. Please don't imitate me if I fail, okay? Uh, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But we also need to recognize that sometimes God may give direction to the pastor so that that direction can then be given to the church. If you read the book of Revelation, one of the things you'll see in the book of Revelation, there's a message to seven churches. And it says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus or Thyatira or whatever Uh, church it is. Right. And the angel or messenger was the pastor. And so God was saying, listen, I want you to write this message to the pastor so that he can then tell his people what Christ is saying about the situation in the church. In the case of Ephesus, they'd left their first love. He said, tell the people they've left their first love. If they don't return to their first love, I'll take away their lampstand. The church will no longer be there. Uh, He said uh, to others, he said, deal with this situation of sexual immorality. Deal with this situation of false teaching. Uh, This is not pleasing to me. And if you don't deal with this, here's going to be the consequences. So Christ communicates through, first of all, to the pastor. And then through the pastor to the people of God. So we follow The pastor as he follows Christ. That means you need to pray for me. Have I ever done stupid things? Absolutely. Listen, I will tell you something. A wise pastor will listen to people who give wise counsel in his church. And so I thank God for those of you who... I've had some of you, you didn't say it this way. You were more kind than this, but you said that's a stupid idea. And I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Praise God for it. Because I don't want to make a stupid decision so uh, uh, th- thank God that we are part of a body that all the parts of the body need each other but uh, be aware that sometimes God leads through the pastor and uh, or through the pastoral staff and follow them so how do we relate to the pastoral leadership first of all follow them secondly honor them honor them verse 17 says the elders who are considered good leaders are to be considered worthy of Of double honor. Now, some people take this in the sense of uh, uh, ample honorarium, and it can be taken that way, but there's another verse here that talks about that. So it it also includes the idea of honor. So I'm just going to talk about that for a minute. To honor them, that is to treat them with respect, to treat them as waiting. Now, it says those who lead well, do this. Honor them, treat them with respect. Why is that? Because as you do that, it reminds you how important their ministry is. You see, the ministry is not about me. The ministry is about the word of God. And as I treat the pastor with respect, what I'm doing is I'm also showing honor to his office which is to preach and teach the word of God. Listen, You can go to the self-help section of a lot of bookstores and you can find a lot of books that are written. Can I tell you, there's no book you'll ever find that is as important and is as relevant and can change your life as much as the Word of God. So as you honor your pastor, you're basically honoring the office of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Uh, This is important. Uh, Sometimes when pastors fail... The tendency is the spotlight is on those who fail, and the tendency is for the respect level to come down. I remember when I was in high school, the situation with a couple of prominent leaders on television who fell into scandal. And uh, wherever we went, it seemed like, to talk to people in the community, that question would come up, well, what about these guys? And the question is, if we can't trust them, well, how can we trust you? Well, the fact of the matter is, every human being has flaws, but there are godly, faithful pastors. And and so as you honor a godly, faithful pastor, and pray for him, please do that, because guess what happens when you become a pastor? big target gets put on your chest, and the enemy wants to take you out. And so as you pray for me, pray that God will protect me, pray that God will give me wisdom, and and, uh, and so forth but, uh, but honor them uh, and let that be your default position unless there's a reason otherwise uh, and, and then we'll talk about what to do in those cases here in a moment so first of all follow them secondly honor them thirdly pay them yes I said it uh, it's in verses 17 and 18 he says do not muzzle the ox, while he's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Y'all do a good job with that, with me. Um, why, why is this instruction put here? Well, some, some churches have the philosophy, uh, God will keep him poor, and you can keep him humble. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, and, and if you're poor, you're having to think, well, how am I going to provide for my family? How? How can I... Uh, make ends meet and it becomes a stressor and it becomes a worry in his life so that he can't focus on his ministry. And so he says to, to pay them. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I remember reading in church history uh, back in the, the early days of America and also in Great Britain if a pastor said something that offended the people they would cut his salary. Uh, they, they would actually some of them would cut the salary sometimes, sometimes they'd stop paying him like that so that's not good uh, one, of our, one of our members was sharing with me he was talking about somebody outside our church and said that uh, he'd come and, and uh, said well something the pastor said offended me this week and his response was well if he's not saying something you don't like once in a while he's probably not doing you any good and so uh, recognize that um, and pay them so follow them honor them pay them Fourthly, protect them. This is so important. Protect them. Look at verse 19. Don't accept an accusation against an elder. By the way, what's an elder? It's another name for a pastor. Elder, overseer, pastor. All these words are interchangeable. They mean the, the same thing. But the, the elder, why they're called elders is usually it was the older man. It's kind of ironic since Timothy's young. But usually it was the older men that were put into the position of pastor because there needed to be some spiritual maturity and some wisdom there uh, before they were appointed to that office. And usually, well, that's not always the case, um, it gave them a little bit more time to develop those qualities. Um, so uh, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. This was the standard that the Jews had that God gave them in the law. Before they would condemn anybody. You had to have two or three witnesses to a crime. To condemn someone. Um, and so. Uh, this is the same standard that's being applied here. Elsewhere Paul uses that standard in Corinthians. He says. Uh, hey you know there's some stories going around here. We're going to establish in, in the mouths of two or three witnesses. Everything that's said. Because of the, the, the situation in the church right now. And so. Uh, why is this important? Because sometimes a pastor can be accused falsely. I heard about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was talking with some pastors and one of them was sharing about how a pastor uh, had been accused by a young woman in his church. Uh, He lost his ministry there. Uh, He was out of the ministry. And years later she came forward and confessed that she had falsely accused him. Uh, But the damage had already been done at that point. So, two witnesses, at least three. Sometimes you may consider it wise to do three in certain cases. But uh, two or three witnesses to establish. And this is a protection. This is a protection from false accusation. The devil is the accuser, isn't he? One of the ways he likes to work is through accusations. Um, (laughs) It's funny how things can get started in gossip. I remember when I was growing up, uh, there was a rumor that started about the preacher uh, that uh, uh, he was he was being involved in in this this green car. And there's just one green car in the whole, whole place, you know. It was anyway. It was it was a bunch of baloney. But uh, the rumor was started. Listen, be careful what you spread. Two to three witnesses. Protect your pastor. Protect others in the church, for that matter. We need to protect each other. The enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to break down reputations and so forth. If there's witnesses to something, then take that seriously. But if they are not witnesses to it, take it with a grain of salt. Um, And and that is a protection for the church. Um, I had this in a situation that I had to deal with not here in this church, but where a leader was uh, accused of things that could not be proven. And that there were no witnesses for, sounds pretty fishy, doesn't it? And uh, well, this well, where's the evidence? And you know, people would come to me. Where's the evidence? And nobody could give me any evidence. I said, well, if we don't have any evidence, we don't need to bring an accusation against this man. And um, the accusations were still st- were still brought, and um, it caused all kinds of discord and disharmony in the situation that I was in and uh, what a shame we don't want that in the church of God so require those two or three witnesses uh... very very important for a protection for your pastoral leadership then you'll like this one rebuke them rebuke them yes your pastors telling you to rebuke them i told you it wasn't self-serving didn't i look at what he says verse twenty publicly rebuke those who sin. If you have two or three witnesses to something and it is established that that some significant sin has taken place, you need to rebuke your pastor publicly. Some people don't like that. Well, you know, what? Rebuking him publicly, that's not very kind. Rebuking him publicly, what will people think? Listen, you know what i found? Oftentimes when there's scandal in the church, everybody in the community already knows about it. The church needs to take a public stand and address the sin in public for the sake of the reputation for the church and especially for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's it's not about the pastor or the pastoral staff. It's about God's kingdom. So it needs to be addressed publicly so that the church knows... So that the community knows that we're not in favor of that sin. And then, as we addressed it, it also has the added benefit, as he says, so the others may fear. So if there's some others that are thinking about that, they'll give it a second thought. Uh, so rebuke publicly. This is, not, this is counter-cultural, isn't it? We live in a culture that says, hey, none of my business. You do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. It's not my business to look into you and not your business to look into me. And, and accountability is kind of thrust to the side. I want to tell you something. The church needs accountability. Amen. The church, listen, um, I love my kids. When my kids were in their growing up years, and I, I was disciplining them and so forth, there was an accountability there. Why? Because I disliked them? No, because I love them. I wanted them to turn out to be the kind of people that could make it in the world. So I, I gave discipline. I gave rebuke sometimes. I tried to couple that with love, and, and that's an important ingredient. But the accountability needed to be there. I think there needs to be accountability between spouses as well. You know, you, you have out of love... To build the trust in your relationship, there needs to be a measure of accountability. You, you ought to be able to ask where each other are at a certain time. Um, these kinds of things. Uh, but especially in the church, there needs to be accountability. Now, that doesn't mean that we go around and over every little nitpicky thing. The Bible says it's the glory of a man to cover over an offense. Most stuff uh, uh, is, is not worth even mentioning. But occasionally those cases will come where there's a significant situation of sin and that must be addressed. It must be addressed. Why? Because sin in the body quenches the spirit of God. Sin in an individual opens them up to the attack of the enemy on a whole new level. The Bible says we have an enemy who's a roaring lion going about seeking boom he may devour. So we rebuke out of love as well. But the accountability needs to be there. It needs to be there for the pastor. I, I heard of the situation. And I don't know the details. I can't speak intelligently. Uh, this, this, but this is what I heard. I heard that there was a, a church that had fired their pastor, but he refused to leave. He did the books in the church, he had the keys to the church, and they had fired him He said, I'm not going, I'm not leaving. If you have a pastor who's an abusive pastor who's doing that, I think you need to make a call to the police and let the police carry him out. Accountability. why? Where do we ever get the idea that somebody wicked should be able to be in charge of the church and should not be held accountable? It's not right. So if they're found in sin, rebuke them. Next, consider them. So we've said, relating Pastoral Authority, follow them, honor them, pay them, protect them, rebuke them. Next, consider them. Paul's writing to Timothy, he says in verse 23, Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now what's going on here? Well, usually in that day, they would mix a little wine in with so many parts of water because it was a purifying agent. Uh, They didn't have a lot of the ways of treating water that we have today. And so usually that's what they would do. But in the situation here, they have false teachers who are drunks, who are, being, who are getting drunk and who are uh, associated with a drunkard lifestyle. So what is Timothy doing? I, I believe Timothy's distancing himself from that and he said, I'm not going to touch a drop. By the way, that's a wise thing to do. Don't touch a drop. The Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink. Is raging. I counsel my kids: if you never take the first drink, you can't get hooked. (laughs) Um, And for some people, that's all it takes is the first drink. But uh, in those days, they would mix a certain amount with, you know, uh, with a certain amount of water, and even the Romans and Greeks did that, and it was an accepted practice. But Paul says, "Look, Timothy, you have stomach issues. You need to take a little bit of this." What's he doing? He's being considerate of Timothy's need. Now, pastors need to be held accountable. I've just mentioned that, but they also need to be considered. Sometimes we forget. Uh, people usually make one one or two wrong choices about the pastor. Either they put him on a pedestal, and nothing he says is ever wrong, or they don't take him very seriously at all. <laughs> you know, they kind of. It, it, it's usually one of those two poles. But pastors are human beings. We put our pants on one leg at a time. We have weaknesses. We have failures. We have illnesses. Uh, you know, consider where there may be a need. Uh, I had a pastor friend in, in Texas and he uh, he was having some, some trouble with his sons and both of his sons had, had gotten involved in, in drugs and and were pretty off track in in their lives. And and his church wisely went to him and said, look, we've been asking you to come to everything, and we know now that your family has suffered because of it. Please take the time you need with your family so you can get this situation under control. And, and, uh, And that's what he did. And he was so grateful for that. What had they done? They'd considered him. They'd seen the situation he was in, the weakness he was in, and they considered him and tried to help him with that situation. So, relating pastoral leadership, follow them, honor them, pay them, protect them, rebuke them, consider them, and finally examine them. Perhaps this is the most important point of all. Look at verse 22. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. What's he saying? Saying, Timothy, I want you to follow this principle, but I also want the church to follow this principle. Don't you just lay your hands on anybody. Sometimes we check, is there a pulse? Are they breathing? Let's sign you up. (laughs) We had a... I had a, friend, a pastor friend that told me that their, their search committee, and by the way, your search committee did a good job in this area when they called me, but uh, he said the search committee didn't ask one theological question of the pastor in his interview. Could have been a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, a Hindu. I mean, it could have been anything. They didn't ask him a single question about theology. You better ask those questions. You better make sure that you know that he, on the central things of the faith, that he believes the right things. You also need to examine his character. Now, if it's somebody in your church that you're appointing to a position, you know them. But if it's somebody outside your church, you need to make sure that you check and see about his character. Uh, Some people think, oh, I want to be a pastor. All they do is work three hours a week. I, I want to do that. I can get a paycheck and just fat cat it and have a great time. There's some people that actually think that. Make sure you check his character. Uh, call references, but then ask those references if they have somebody else that you can talk to. Perhaps call a former church if he's if it's not his first church to pastor or call his church where he's coming out of and ask him, how has he done? In working with people in your church, does he get along well with people? Does he work well with people? Um, How has he done in leading things in the church? Ask these questions. Why? Because you don't want to find those things out after he gets there, right? And he says here, he says, examine them. He says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. Take your time, dot your I's, cross your T's, Because once you have him in that position, then it can cause a lot of damage to the church if you have to deal with a problem. Try to do those things ahead of time. Look at what he says in verses 24 and 25. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment. In other words, you don't have to to look very hard to find their sin. It's obvious. But then he says, but the sins of others surface later. What's the principle here? Don't lay hands on somebody and and appoint them as a pastor as a new Christian. Give some time to observe that person's life. Because Have you ever known somebody that seemed like a really godly person and then a few years later they end up getting into some heinous sin and leave the church? Have you ever seen that happen? Sure, all of us have. So you want to give some time because some sins follow after. And especially in the role of pastor, you want to make sure that this person is not just a new convert. That they've had some time to to grow and some time for these sins to come to the surface. But also good works are obvious and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden, he says in verse 25. So... Uh, give some time for the good works to come to the surface. Some people are good salt of the earth people, but they're kind of quiet, and and it takes a while before their good works become obvious. And you know, don't overlook those folks either. So um, uh, he's saying, look, examine them. Look at the life. It's it's amazing to me. Sometimes when when uh, church search committee, by the way, I'm not looking. In case anybody's wondering uh, there, sometimes church search committees are given the advice you find somebody who's a leader who can be a good CEO and that's where the advice stops and you have none of the characteristics or character qualities that Timothy mentions here or Paul mentions to Timothy that are even addressed character is so so important Proverbs says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. If you don't want to do a lot of groaning, examine your pastoral leaders before you appoint them. So relating to pastoral leadership, what should you do? Follow them, honor them, pay them, protect them, rebuke them, consider them, and examine them. And as we do that, God will, will, I think, bless that process and honor us um, and The kingdom will move forward. See, that's the purpose of it all. is the kingdom moving forward. Not about you. Not about me. It's about the kingdom. And uh, one day when it's all said and done, uh, the souls that are saved and the lives that are changed through godly, faithful pastoral ministry will be a credit to the kingdom and will then help God's church to live in the ways that God desires and that the church as a whole can be a credit to the kingdom as well. And that's God's goal. Uh, if you're here today and there's one of these things that you haven't followed. Or perhaps you just want to come to the altar and you want to pray for your pastoral leadership. I'd love that. that praise God. Um, maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ. I've not. This has been kind of a message to how does the church relate to a pastor. But uh, if you're here, your first question needs to be, how should you relate to Jesus? And the Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect life. He never committed one sin. He's the only person in history to never commit one sin. And he died on the cross as our substitute to take the penalty for our sin, the just payment of our sin, and the wrath of God upon himself for our sin uh, so that we could be forgiven set free. And the Bible says that Jesus said these words, it is finished, which is the word they put on a bill that had been paid in full. Everything that needed to be paid was paid at the cross. All our sins, past, present, future, laid upon Christ so that he could pay the penalty for them. And three days later, he arose. And the Bible says that if you'll surrender your heart to him and you'll put your trust in him, to forgive you and give you eternal life that he'll save your soul. If you'd like to do that this morning, have a relationship with God, that's how that relationship begins. Uh, Have eternal life in a place called heaven, that's how that is is, uh, achieved uh, through Christ and through receiving it as a gift. I want to ask you just to step out here in just a moment when we begin to to sing. Uh, Step out of your seat and come down here to the front. And I'll pray with you a prayer of commitment that you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Father, I pray that you'll help me to be a faithful pastor to your church. And I pray that any pastoral leadership that we call, Father, will do so in a way.